David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts here. I'm David Spader. We're going to have another great show today. We're going to have a gentleman who played with the Giants. He also played with the Braves. He was part of baseball history. He was on base when Hank Aaron hit the legendary home run that broke Babe Ruth's record. So let's get right to an interview I did with Daryl Evans. When you came up as a 22-year-old, did you realize what you were in for when you joined the Braves? I mean, because it was basically Hank Aaron's team back then. Well, it was great. Um Growing up, um, my idol was Eddie Matthews. Um, and when I got to the, to the Braves, um, yeah, I originally signed with the Kansas City A's. And I played with uh, Raleigh Singers and Vida Blue and Gene Kemps, all those guys that um, eventually won three world championships. And I was behind uh, Sal Bando there. So I was very fortunate to be rule five to the Braves. And then I go to the, to the Braves. They have to keep me in the major leagues, uh, send me back. And, um, Eddie Matthews had just retired from the world champion, 1968 Detroit Tigers. And my idol left hand hitting third baseman from California and the guys on the sports illustrated cover. And, and the person that I wanted to meet most in the world was now my hitting coach. And um, he took me under his wing, and and I was basically his son for all that time I was there. So the transition into going to the major leagues was having somebody on my side that was telling me what to do and how to do it, and was uh, was always there for me. So, and then I got to enjoy having I mean, played with Hank, you know, the best player of all time, as far as I'm concerned, and one of the best, and no question. And then. And we also had Orlando Cepeda and Phil Necro and Hoyt Wilhelm was his last year, uh, was there. So I had four Hall of Famers. Of course, we didn't know that at the time, but man, you go into a team and you're 22 years old and you don't even know what, what's happening. And all of a sudden you're surrounded by all these guys you idolized and, uh, wanted to get the baseball card signed too. So it was, it, I couldn't have been any better for me. Uh, it was inc- incredible that I got put in that situation. When Ted Williams managed the Senators, they talked about that he couldn't relate to the players because he, he thought they should all be like him. How was Eddie Matthews like? Because a lot of times great players have trouble transitioning to be great coaches. Well, I think that people don't understand um, that the great players expect more because they expected more of themselves. One of the reasons why they're great players uh, it was because they expect more and they're used to getting the most out of people. And, um, maybe it's a shortcut that, um, some people don't understand that you have to make. I mean, the, the, the difference between the great players and the other, everybody's a great player that's in the major leagues, but those guys that we talk about like that, they've already gone through all this stuff and they're, they basically, every one of them that I've ever been around is always, 
uh, open and wanting to give you shortcuts and, and tell you instead of you taking five years to experience something there right there for you and tell you exactly how to do it. And sometimes it's strange, sometimes it's tough, and I think it's uh, a lot of times it's tough love. Uh, I played for Frank Robinson also with the Giants, and, um, you know, he expected you to be better than you thought you were. And I think that's that's what most uh, great players feel like, that, hey, we're going to try to get the most out of you. And, and um, sometimes it's uh, everybody needs to be taught different ways, I guess, but sometimes it doesn't work for some people. Or maybe, you know, just one guy that doesn't get it and doesn't uh, agree with it uh, gives somebody a reputation. Are you kidding me? The, the best hitter of all time, Ted Williams, would I love to be around him and watch him every day or or have him be my mentor? My gosh, that's uh, something I just can't imagine, not uh, not finding a way to uh, get along with them and to do uh, what they're talking about. And, and sure, they're they're tough on people, but they expect the most, and that's how you win. You got you got to you got to be better than other people. What did? How did Eddie Matthews help you as a hitter? Well, um, you know, I was such an awe of him anyway, but uh, he had just finished playing, so that was a great thing. He had just, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, been a big star, obviously, and all that kind of stuff, and then the last year was on the 68 Tigers and, you know, pinch hit and didn't play all the time and everything, but he was, I, and he was a young, as I've experienced now, he was a young, still a young man that wasn't allowed to play anymore. You know, they ask about when you retire and stuff, and Eddie was one of those guys. He had to tear the uniform off him. So he he wanted to pass along everything he was doing. He Just because he wasn't playing, he was still involved in everything uh, in the game. So he grabbed me right away. And Cleet Boyer was our third baseman there with the Braves, you know, great, great, great player. And uh, Bob Estramani was also there. So I was, you know, I wasn't going to play much, which is okay, but – to have somebody just grab a hold of me and kind of go, I think it was timing was a big part of it, is that he, I was his first uh, kind of you know, a coaching experience, and here he's got a left-handed hitter, and and he took me down to batting cage. First of all, he took me out on the field and hit me ground balls and over and over and over again and told me that, you know, a, um, you'll learn how to be accurate because most, most young kids aren't. We just throw it, get in front of the ball, knock it down, feel good about it, and you'll learn how to do that. And it was always a positive influence on it. But he took me in the batting cages every day, too, through batting practice to me, and um, just taught me a little bit more about uh, about aiming point, about where to expect the ball to make the strike zone a little bit smaller, the hitting zone a lot smaller, that I had to be selfish, that... I could hit anything pretty much. We can all do that, but we don't want to do that. We want to get good pitches to hit so we can hit them hard. And the realization that, you know, if you don't, you know, you got seven world-class people out there catching it. That's why hitting it so hard. you got seven guys, world-class, are going to catch it. And it's hard enough to hit it good. So his philosophy to me was, okay, we're going to teach you how to hit it so hard they're not going to catch it, or are you going to hit it over their heads all the time? And um, just subtle little stuff that every day pushing and pushing, okay, come on, you can get better. You can do this, you can do that, you can do this, you can do that. So after a while, you just uh, look forward to it every single day going to the ballpark and learning something new from somebody that you realize how, you know, one of the best, you know, best third baseman of all time and 
and this guy's your, you know, your older brother, your uncle, your dad, the guy that's there for you every single day when you're going to try to get through and to learn how to get better. So um, I'm just uh, flabbergasted that I had a chance to do that. And I think it was a, there's no question he was the main reason why I I got to be a much better ball player than when I was first started out. So you're a Rule 5 player. you got to stay in the majors. It took you a couple of years before you became an everyday player. When did you realize that you could play every day in the major leagues? You know, I was always confident. I think there's a fine line between cocky and confidence. But but I, I never was going to be run out there and go, okay, watch me, and I'm going to do this. But it was like, okay, I can I, – I always wanted to have this goal. There was always somebody better in it. And every day you're going, okay, I want to be as good as him. How do I get as good as him? And having Eddie and all the other people that are helping me. But at the same time, it's like you get to the point of going, okay, that's, well, I can be better. I can, maybe I can be better. I've been blessed with enough talent or whatever. And if I follow along and watch everybody and to have um, Eddie and, and Hank Aaron to sit there and listen to all the time, they were very open. They wanted you. They want to win, so they want the players, their teammates and stuff to be better. So they're going to pass along all the stuff, not the, not so much the mechanical stuff, but the mental stuff and how you get prepared and how you intimidate other people and how you present yourself and and all those little things that uh, aren't so. At first, you, as a young inexperienced player, you don't you don't get that, um, and then you see why they're so good, um, and you start following in that path, and pretty soon. People give you respect that you're like, oh, okay, shoot. Um, can you imagine having, you know, going facing uh, Bob Gibson and, and Tom Stever and Steve Crofton and all these guys and going, well, yeah, you got to, what are you going to do? Quit? Or are you going to try to, I'm, I got to get a hit off of once in a while. And once you get to the point of feeling like, okay, I'm capable of doing that, maybe that'll happen. And when it does, that's a big boost for you. It's a big confidence thing. So that, got me to the point of going, okay, I had two things because I, okay, I, I can't play in the major leagues or let's see how, see if I can play as good as the other third baseman that day. Let's see if I can play as good as Mike Smith. Let's see if I can play as good as Eddie expected me to. And um, it was good because I had Cleek Boyle for a couple of years, um, was there, was a regular third baseman, there wasn't so much pressure on putting me in there and going, okay, until I was ready. And I went down to AAA and hit 360. And I think when I came back up, they called me up in the middle of the year. Um, that was a time when I went, okay, I'm still facing good pitching. Let's get up here. Let's see what this is like. And, and I always had the positives from everybody. Okay, yeah, you're the guy. You're the man. And, um, you know, when I hit my first home run up, Bob Gibson, I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, the family and everybody else go, you realize you hit your home run up by and what, you know, and then everybody asks, well, what did he do after that? Well, you know, it's like, well, he was going to intimidate me and everything. Well, I didn't face him until the whole next year and he had, he didn't do anything. He forgot about it. And it was, you know, that, that was all a perception that people thought was happening all the time. And when reality, maybe it wasn't as bad. So. Um, pretty soon it was like, you know, this is your job. This is the, the best job in the world. Are you kidding me? This is what you grew up to be able to hope to do. And you get to do it every day and you got all the support. So, um, you know, there's no ceiling. It's like, but the great thing about baseball is that 
no one's perfect and no one's the best and no one knows everything about it. So you always have that, even now, after not playing for all these years and being coached and all, so I still have that, I can always learn something. I can always be better. So uh, that combination made it, um, I guess, when I came back up after going to AAA and not being real happy about that, but it was the greatest, it was a good thing for me. Go back down there, prove to yourself you can play every day. And I hadn't really done that before anyway, because sitting on the bench in the major leagues, you don't play, and you need to play every day. And you learn how to do that and how to handle yourself and how to handle injuries and all that kind of stuff. And coming back up um, from AAA, being successful, everybody expected me to be successful, and so um, I wasn't going to, I guess I wasn't going to be the guy to tell them no. Um, you know, whatever Eddie said I was going to do, whatever Hank said I was going to do. When you hit the 40 home runs in the season, you, Davey Johnson, Hank Aaron, it was something that no one had done for a long time, and then since then people have done it, but that's a steroid error. Do you think it'll happen again, or is it just something that's once in a lifetime? Well, you know, if you look back, I mean, at the time you're doing it, it was it wasn't so much as easier for for Davey and myself. And you know, we also had Dusty Baker there, who ended up, I think, 29 or 30 home runs that year too. And uh, Davey had never done it, and he had the same kind of situation. Although he was an older player and been a world champion with the Orioles and everything, when he came over, that's you know, Eddie got a hold of him and said, "Hey, here's what you're capable of doing. I want you to to try it a little bit more." And once you get that uh, thirst for it and you have somebody supporting you, no one's telling you, uh, well, you strike out too much. You're swinging a bad pitch. No, it's just the opposite because you're not striking out and you're not swinging a bad pitch. And you get more, you're getting better at what you're doing. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I talk, you know, if you hit, you play 24 weeks in baseball, you know, six months, four, four weeks, a month. So you got 24 weeks. If you hit one home run a week, uh, you're a pretty good power hitter. I mean, that's 24 home runs, and that's kind of considered. So basically, that year we all hit two a week. And when you're on a team that has such a great lineup like that, um, it's kind of relentless. You you go into the game knowing, well, one or two guys are going to be hot. So you're never going into a game where, you know, you got only one or two guys on the team that are basically um, – that you can know that are going to be there all the time. This is four, five, six, seven guys. And I think it was the atmosphere permeated because of Hank and because of Eddie. And that, you know, if you come over and play on the Braves, this is what's expected of you. You know, you can, you can be better. And yeah, I mean, the odds of it happening again are almost impossible. But at the time it was great because we, Davey and I had no pressure on us. We, this was some new experience for us. Hank was going through the catching Beirut until he got to 700 home runs, which is in 1973 when we all hit, when the three was hit 40. Um, you know, all of a sudden the world stopped and everybody noticed and went, ah, it's not going to be Willie Mays. It's not going to be somebody else. It's going to be Hank Aaron that can break this record. So we just kind of went along with a ride. And um, he was always a great teammate was always sharing things. He took us into the press conference when he hit 713, which was actually his 40th home run, um, and brought us in there with him and told everybody how magical it was and to be part of things and all that kind of stuff. So 
So we always had that support from him and, um, you know, it's such a great team and such a great teacher that, um, you know, whatever Hank wanted, we were going to try to do. And, and, you know, everything's confidence. Once you learn how to do that, now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? Wow. I'm hitting balls out of the park now that maybe I might got base hits on a good line drive. Learning how to do this, it's happening a little more often. So you kind of feed off of that. And because there was a competition between us, um, you know, there was only four guys who had 40 home runs that year. Um, and after that, there wasn't anybody at 40 home runs for like three years. So that was a big mark back then. Not, I guess it's come back to that stature now. But, you know, for a while there was, it was like a lot of guys hit it. But at the time, that was a real big deal. So, um, you know, you had a lot of people asking you about it, so you were focused. Um, you know, again, we're trying to win ballgames. We're trying to win a pennant. Who are we playing against? The Big Red Machine and the Dodgers, the two best teams in baseball probably at the time in our division. And you're still trying to win games. So um, every time somebody did good, we kind of all fed off it. And there was nothing better than to see the fear in the eyes of the other pitchers and the other teams. Um, they knew they were going to give up some runs. And that was a fun time to be part of that. Lots of high fives and lots of being able to enjoy Hank's run, you know, towards towards the record, too. And being a part of it. Did Hank enjoy all the pressure that was on him? I mean, there was death threats against him, I heard. He was getting letters, phone calls. Did he just want want it to end, or did he enjoy it? No, I don't think he enjoyed it as much. Um, Certainly, I know he didn't enjoy it as much as he should have. Um, I mean, you couldn't help it. I mean, death threats in Atlanta. Um, you know, if there had been death threats somewhere else, maybe that wouldn't have been so bad. But I think it was so obvious that there was the, and the reason why and and the distractions. And just think of how great this man was. I mean, I look at, I, I think back, to me, he's the well, one of the few players that I've played with that could have done that. Obviously, you have to have the talent. But the attitude and how he got through this and how he didn't make it a distraction for the rest of the team. The one thing that changed, you know, he, he didn't get to uh, ride the buses. We didn't get to ride the buses with him so much. You know, he went on the planes with us, but, you know, he goes on way. And first, one of the first guys I guess lived in a different hotel. Um, so you lost one of your teammates, and then you realize, you go, well, yeah, but there's a lot more to this. Than, and it's such a shame. This was, I mean, the greatest – uh, record in U.S. sports history was being happening, and people were trying to tear it down. And it was just uh, it was it was too bad. Um, but like I said, I don't think anybody else could have handled it any better than him. And and he he kept going. I mean, it was like okay, all these distractions and everything, but I'm still you know I'm gonna hit a home run every ten times up there and. Nobody's going to stop me from doing that, and I'm going to be a great player and and help win ball games, and you know that's what we play baseball for. So, um, I was really happy for him because I think when Bonds broke went past him, um, he had always said too, you know what, Babe Ruth, I think held the record for 39 years or something like that, Hank held it for 39 years or something like that. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of similarities in a lot of stuff anyway. But that's what he always, you know, his records are made to be broken. He never said, you know, I'm going to 
place, Babe Ruth, and he's better than him, whatever. He was out there doing his thing, and he was just better than everybody else. And and you could count on him, and and he made everybody else around him better, obviously. So we enjoyed it as much as we could. I mean, this was, like I said, the biggest record in, in American sports. I think it still probably always will be. Uh, because he was, he was going past an icon. I mean, going past Hank Aaron wasn't the same as going past Babe Ruth and haven't had forever. And all of a sudden this guy's, uh, part of this and we're part of it and wanting to make him, um, the God and the aisle and all that stuff we, that he should have been at the time. And, you know, seeing some of the stuff that happened is disappointing. But I think when he, when, when Barry got close to him and passed him and everything, people finally realized who Hank Aaron was. I think more at the time, uh, well, this guy plays in Milwaukee and in Atlanta and we don't get to see him. And so what we want, we thought Willie was going to do. We thought somebody else was going to do it. Uh, we thought Mickey, you know, all those kind of things. He wasn't known that way. So, um, I think that was a plus for him because he, he maybe the press wasn't so so livid until, like I said, until he got to 700 Romans and everybody looked around and went, wait a minute, who's this guy? And and so so that went, you know, he had his press conference all day and, and distractions and everything else, but maybe not the social media now. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, I mean, there was the letters and, and people in person, but the rest of the time it was, you know, we had a teammate and guy that was out there doing it. And I think we need to realize it was disappointing that we didn't have an anniversary big celebration for him last year too in Atlanta. I mean, you talk about Dale Murphy and myself. I mean, just think Hank and he's still a man and um, hopefully I haven't forgotten about that. Because so it meant did. so much to everybody. Well, you were there. I mean, you right. know how much it meant to the, not just baseball, but to sports. Anybody that ever played, uh, the pride that you have that, that, you know, this is a guy, guy that we can, uh, um, allude to, somebody that we can see and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, Babe Ruth was dead a long time ago. What was he like? I don't know. We're watching movies, but we got to see Hank and how he is and everything. So, it was, it was just incredible um, ride. And, you know, I was there uh, for six years with him, I guess, and um, just uh, couldn't replace that kind of time in any other situation. I mean, I'm, I I didn't know what I was going to do, how long I was going to play, but, man, I got to be on that moment. Plus, how come I got to be on base? I was on base when he hit it. So that's an even more special thing. Um, I guess <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, um, I, I just, so I just want him to get his due and what he meant to, and you know, when you win and all the cities that you play in, of course, you mean so much to the fans and you mean so much to the region. It makes everybody when baseball, when, the, when, the, when any team is in a pennant race, the city shuts down and when people go to work, they're all happy and they're talking about this and they're, and they're friends and everything. So, so you, you realize after you play for a while, that man, this means more than just, um, you know, your family and stuff. This is, people are enjoying what you're doing. So it makes it even better. And that's, that's why I guess I wish it would have happened later and a, 
different place because Hank would have gotten a little bit more or a lot more of what he's really due. He wasn't flashy like a Willie Mays. Again, he just went about and did his job. He wasn't looking for the publicity. Whereas, I mean, with Mickey Mantle, he was flash. You always heard about the stories about him partying in New York. You heard about Willie Mays to say, hey, kid. But Hank was just quiet, but he had all the skills they did, but he just went about and did his job. Well, you know, um, yeah, he was the guy that played the game. He was a guy that you could look at and go, okay, I, that's how I'm supposed to play baseball. And, you know, I, I laughed about Willie and, and you know, Mickey was in New York and Willie, of course, in New York. But Mickey was the guy that had enough talent and want, people wanted him to do it and all that kind of stuff. You know, he had so many injuries and all those things out of his control. Um, flamboyant guy and everything. Hank was, you know, came, like I said, played in Milwaukee, played in Atlanta, so he was never in a big media place. Nobody... I mean, if you're a baseball fan, obviously you knew, but uh, you didn't know much more about him. Willie, um, you know, Willie was the first hot dog in baseball. I mean, he was the first guy. His hat flew off. He was flamboyant. And it wasn't, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that as a negative. I'm just saying, you know, the basket catch and all that kind of stuff. And so I take his legend of how, you know, he was better than Hank. And I and I was like, I, I don't know if he was, but, I mean, Hank's got more home runs, RBIs, runs, I mean, all the things. And Hank, two batting titles, two stolen base titles, the same gold gloves, gold gloves, gold gloves, 24 All-Star games. So he must have been pretty good, too. And um, I guess where we needed is more people to know about him. Then we would have maybe looked at him different. And uh, But, I, you know, he was a quiet guy, and um, no, he wasn't quiet. He was a low key guy where um you know, he, he he was he was the leader and he was the guy you watched play and he was flamboyant enough because uh you know, you know, he was one of those guys you look back and go, Well, you know, he didn't make any mistakes. I don't remember him missing a cutoff man. No, I mean remember making an error, something make strike out once in a while. He was a great base runner. Um just subtle stuff that wasn't so obvious. So I, I I spoke with uh, Bob Gibson one time, not just one time, but talked to him quite. And I I asked him. I said, okay, who's better? Because when when Barry was Bonds was catching Hank, then it was the Cowboys. Well, Willie would have played longer, and he would have, and Hank had more RBIs, and or Hank had more bats, and playing. And it's like, okay, well, that's nobody's control over that. So I asked uh, Bob Gibson. One time we're at fantasy camp enjoying ourselves, just laughing. Okay, who's who gave you more trouble, Willie or Hank? And he looked at me like as Bob Gibson scared, like he was going to go, well, you dumb idiot, why don't you? Well, he goes, if Willie, I hated Willie because I could throw Willie, come close. If he had to come close, he'd fall on the ground, his hat come off, it'd take him all kinds of time. He he. he pissed me off because he'd take way too much time to get back in the batter's box. Sometimes I'd do it again. And if I made a good pitch away to him most of the time I could get I had a good chance to get Willie up. Mr. Aaron, that didn't work. And that's how he said it. So um it wasn't just who's better or who I mean that that kinda of said it all to me. And so the players, you know, everybody has a different opinion, but the players um he's the respected 
he's a more respected than anybody as a player, I think. I mean, we realize he looked back and go, well, man, all the records that he holds and all the things he's done. And so that's kind of a fun thing to play with a lot. And who knows? We're, there's no way of ever knowing who's the best. But when you're talking about one of the best, I get to enjoy watching him for five years. Every single day, on and off the field, he taught me a lot how to hold, how to handle yourself, how to no matter what's going on, and um, I'll be forever grateful for that. We're going to take a short break here on sports and torts here on TalkZone.com. When we come back, we're going to get to more with legendary baseball player Daryl Evans. 